All right, well, let's go to God's word. As we're in week number eight in a series we've called The End Times, How the Story of Redemption Ends. What we've been doing is we've been studying the six major events that the Bible says is going to take place surrounding the second coming of Christ. Now, as we have throughout this series, let me once again start with the all-important timeline that helps you keep these, these events straight. In chronological order, the events of the end times are this, the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming, the millennium, the great white throne, and the new heaven and new earth. Now, we've already talked about the first five events in great detail. If you missed any of those messages, you can go to our website or YouTube or Facebook and get caught up. The only one that we have yet left to talk about is the new heaven and new earth. And so that's what we're going to do today. You know, people often have misconceptions about life based on misinformation. There are some commonly thought truths floating around in our society that have been debunked. They've been proven false. Let me share a few of them with you. It's been said that eating carrots will help you see better in the dark. You can eat as many carrots as you want. That's simply not true. It's been said that vitamin C is an effective treatment for a cold. Now, vitamin C is a good thing, but it's not going to cure your cold. It's been said that it takes seven years for your body to digest chewing gum if swallowed. <laughs> How many of you ever had your mom say, don't you swallow that, it's going to be in your stomach for seven years. Can I tell you, it is true that your stomach won't dissolve it, but it will not stay in your stomach for seven years. It moves with the rest of the stuff you ate that day out the other end. It's just how, it's just how it works. So some of you are thinking, I still have gum in me. No, you don't. It came out, we, we, we promise you. It's been said that if you flush the toilet in the southern hemisphere, the water will rotate in the opposite direction. That's not true. Gravity dictates that. If you pour it in one direction, it's going to go in that direction. If you pour it, go in the other, it's, it's, it's just, this is how it, how it works. It's been said that you can see the Great Wall of China with the naked eye from space. That's actually not true. You actually need some instruments from space to see the Great Wall of China. Now, this is my absolute favorite, and I think you're going to understand why. It's been said that Napoleon Bonaparte, the 17th century, the early 18th century French leader, it's been said that he was a really short man. Can I tell you, that's not true. I'm going to stick up for the short man of history. Okay? They tell us that he was actually five foot six, five foot seven. And you say, well, that's not all that tall, but the average height of that day was five foot five. Okay? Do you understand? I would love to be five foot five. I would, that would be like, that would solve all my problems to be five foot five. Well, if that's information about this world, what kind of information, misinformation, do you think people have about the next world? A survey conducted of Americans says this, 40% believe heaven is an actual place, while 47% say it's just a state of being. Half of all Americans believe that you get to heaven by your good works. And 60% of Americans believe everyone goes to heaven no matter what. Even many so-called Christians have misconceptions about heaven. Listen to this. 65% of Christians surveyed believe that everyone goes to heaven no matter what. Apparently, they're not reading their Bible. Right? Right? 
Many believe that, many Christians believe that when a person dies, that they become an angel in heaven. That's not true. You will always be human. You will never be an angel. Others believe that heaven is a place where you will sit on a cloud and strum a harp for all of eternity. <laughs> now, can I tell you, that does not sound like heaven to me. That sounds like hell. That's, if that's what heaven's <laughs> going to be like, I'm not sure that I want to go. Well, listen, the only reliable source that we have about life after death is the Bible. Amen. And the Bible tells us a lot of things about what it's going to be like. When we come to Revelation chapter 21, we find out what eternity will be like for the Christian. Theologians call it the final state of believers. Now, the last time, last time when we studied the great white throne judgment, we learned about the final state of unbelievers or non-Christians. And we find, found out that the final state of unbelievers is the lake of fire. That's where unbelievers will spend all of eternity paying for their sins. The Bible refers to that as the eternal death or the second death. It's eternity apart from God. Remember, when you, once you were conceived in your mother's womb, you don't, you cease to, you're not going to cease to exist one day. You're going to exist somewhere for all of eternity, and the unsaved will be in the lake of fire. Now, the final state of believers, of Christians, on the other hand, will be to be in the new heaven and new earth. That's where the Christian will spend all of eternity. And it's what we have described for us at the beginning of Revelation chapter 21 into Revelation chapter 2. These are the very last two chapters in your Bible. And the question that we're going to ask this morning and answer is, what is it going to be like? Well, let's read what we're told in the first, first, first eight verses of Revelation 21. We're going to really kind of, this is going to be our main text for this morning. Let's read it. It says, then I saw, remember, the apostle John was given a vision by Jesus of what the future was going to be like. So John says, this is what I saw. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, let's stop right there. And what I want to do this morning, out of these eight verses, is I want you to notice five things about this new heaven and new earth. The first thing I want you to notice, first thing on your note sheets, I want you to notice the creation of the new heaven and earth. 
Once again, verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, before we go any further, I want to stop and help you get something straight in your mind so you could better understand what we're talking about here. A lot of times when the Bible uses the word heaven, it doesn't mean the same thing. In fact, it could mean three different things when the Bible says heaven. And so let me just kind of show you this. Sometimes when the Bible uses the word heaven, it refers to the first heaven, talking about our atmosphere uh, that in, on our earth, okay? Sometimes when the Bible talks about the heavens or heaven, we're talking about what we would call outer space, where the rest of the stars and planets and moon and sun are, the rest of the universe. And then there's what's called the third heaven. In fact, the apostle Paul mentioned and called this the third heaven. Remember when he had the, the, the encounter with Jesus? And what is Paul's testimony? I was taken up into the third heaven. That's the heaven that we often think about when people die that know Jesus. That's where they go to. So that's the third heaven. Our text this morning in Revelation 21, get this, is going to involve all three of these heavens. And you're going to see that as we move along. For this very first point, when we're talking about the creation of a new heaven and a new earth, we're talking about a new first heaven and second heaven along with a new earth. Everybody got that? Okay. So get this, the current heaven that we know, talking about the physical universe, the cosmos, the stars, and the, the Big Dipper, and the Little Dipper, and the sun, and the moon, and all the galaxies, and all the solar systems, all the planets, including planet Earth, will one day be no more. They will all pass away one day. They're not going to be here forever. Why? Well, because God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth for his people to live in for eternity. I want you to understand this is not just something talked about here in the book of Revelation. Okay, Revelation here, and I know there's a lot of figurative language in Revelation. There's a lot of symbolism that we have to kind of to interpret. And that this is straightforward language here at the end of the book of Revelation. So these are not words that we got to somehow figure out. There's a code here. This is straightforward. And you say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because the rest of the Bible tells us that. In the Old Testament, God said this through the pen of the prophet Isaiah. Look what God said to the people of Israel. Isaiah 65, verse 17. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 22. God says it again in, in making an illustration about what he was saying, some of the promises to the people of Israel. Look at this. As the new heavens and the new, new earth that I make will endure forever, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. Do you know that Jesus said that our current heaven and earth is going to pass away one day? Look at this. Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. Jesus understands this is going to happen. Look at this. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Do you understand? He's talking about the current heaven and earth that we now live in. One day it's going to be no more. It's all going to pass away. The apostle Peter said this in 2 Peter 3, and we read this a couple weeks ago in one of these sermons that we've done in this series, but let me take you back there. Starting in verse 10, Peter writes, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now that's in reference to all the end time events that we've been studying in this series. That's what Peter means by the phrase, the day of the Lord. He's not talking about just one day. He's talking about all these things. And at the end of those days... Look what he says. 
The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise. How many know that Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but not, not the word of God will pass away, right? Well, what did God promise? We are looking forward to uh, what? A new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Now, as we go back to Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, I want you to notice a couple of things about this new heaven and new earth that God is going to create. First, I want you to notice the word new in the text. Look at this. Then I saw a new. Everybody see that word? Heaven and a new earth. Now, that's an interesting Greek word, and it means something very particular. It's the Greek word uh, kainos. Everybody say kainos. Here's what it means. New in quality, innovation, fresh in development or opportunity, because not found exactly like this before. So what is this telling us? I want you to understand God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth that will be different that will be unlike, that will be not the same as the current one we live in, okay? New, but not the same. It's going to work totally different, okay? The biology of it, everything is going to work different, okay? So we're not talking about a renovation of the current heaven and earth. We're talking about a completely new and different type of heaven and earth. And so this is not creation uh, like it was in the beginning of human history. The new, this will be new and different of a kind that has never been seen before. And look what it said, look what it says here that gives us an idea of how different it's going to be. Notice it says, there will no longer be any sea. Now I want you to think about this for a second, because this tells you how different the new earth is going to work from how things work now. Do you understand planet earth right now is a water-based environment? Okay, three-fourths of our planet earth is covered by water. It's covered by the sea. And I don't know if you know this, but those seas are very important to life and survival on our planet. The earth depends on on those seas. You see, our planet earth is the only known place in the universe where there is a sufficient amount of water to sustain life. You understand the massive amount of sea actually makes that possible. Without the hydrological cycle uh, that the oceans help maintain, life on earth and everything we know it would collapse and it would die. And so that's how important the oceans are to the planet we live in. I don't know if you know this, but did you know that your blood is 90% water? Your human body is actually 65% water. And it relies on our planet's current hydrological system to function properly, properly and to survive. Well, in the new earth, there's not going to be any need for the sea. Some of you would say, but I like the ocean. (laughs) I promise you, you're going to like the new heaven and new earth even better. You say, why why is there going to be any need for a sea? Because your new glorified body won't be water dependent for survival. It's going to work totally different. You see, God has designed our new glorified bodies that we're going to get as his people, not with the old planet in mind, but with the new planet in mind. And so the new heavens and earth is going to be totally different in function, biologically, how it all works, and in glory than the current one we live in. 
So I want you to think about that for just a second. As beautiful as this world can be at times, I mean, the land, the mountains, the sky, the plant life, the, the sunsets. Can I just say this? You haven't seen anything yet. Just as the Christian's new glorified body is going to be more glorious than their original body. Listen, I tell you, the new heaven and new earth is going to be more glorious and more magnificent than the current earth that we live in. So that's the creation of the new heaven and earth. I see a lot of smiles out there. You're like, I can't wait to get there because this earth, yeah, amen. Second thing I want you to notice from our text this morning is this. Let's call it the capital of the new heaven and earth. The capital of the new heaven and earth. Look at verse 2. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, there is a lot that we're not told about the new earth. I mean, think about it. So far, we've been given very few details we know there's no sea. We're not talking, there's no description of the land or, or, or any of that kind of stuff. But we're given a lot of details about a capital city of this new earth that's going to be called New Jerusalem. And it's going to be a capital city. It's going to, it's going to be different from any other city, human city that's ever existed. Because this one, rather than being built on the new earth, will come down from heaven already built onto the new earth. Ready for God and his people to live in and fellowship in and serve one another in for all of eternity. And so it's going to be a place of relationships and responsibility and unity and socialization and communion and cooperation. Unlike the evil cities of this present earth, this perfectly holy city, the New Jerusalem, is a place where people are going to live in harmony and peace with one another for all of eternity. Now, let me, let me just bring your mind back to something. Do you remember when Jesus said back in John chapter 14 to his disciples, remember uh, he was about the last supper, they don't realize he's about to die and go away and leave them. And remember Jesus said, hey guys, I'm going to leave you, but take heart because I'm going to prepare a place for you. Yeah. Remember what Jesus said? For in my father's house, there are many what? rooms and I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I will come back one day to take you to where I will be. Well, this is the place Jesus is talking about. This is the father's house. What we're talking about here is a city that right now, as we speak, is the current third heaven. Whether it's just a city of the third heaven or it's all of the third heaven, I don't know. But I want you to understand, this is where Christians who die right now in this age go when they leave this earth. They go to be with Jesus in the Father's house in this city. Okay? You say, Pastor, how do you know that the new Jerusalem is the current heaven? Well, Hebrews chapter 12, talking about saved people when they die. Christians, when they're done with this life, look what it says. Verse 22, you have come, the people that have died, the people that have run their race, they're done. They, they have put their faith in Jesus. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly what? Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, talking about Jesus, whose names are written in heaven. Where are they written? In the Lamb's book of life, right? 
You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. (coughs) So I want you to understand the current heaven is going to come down out of the heavens onto the new earth. Okay? And we're given a description of it further down in Revelation. Let me go ahead and take you there. Look at it with me. Uh, Revelation 21, verse 11. Listen to the description. It's, 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 it's amazing when you think about it. It says, it shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates, On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Talking about the 12 disciples of Jesus. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square. As long as it was wide, he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it was long. Now, let me just stop right there and help you understand the size of the city. The city is a cube that is 12,000 stadia in length, width, and height. You say, what is 12,000 stadia? It's 1,500 miles. Okay, let me give you some perspective. That's the distance between Dallas and Philadelphia or the distance from Maine to Florida. So New Jerusalem is 1,500 miles in length, width, and height. So that's 2,250,000 square miles just at its base. But then it goes up 1,500 miles. That's the equivalent of 780 stories or 780,000 stories high. So it's a 1,500-mile cube. To give you more perspective, it's just slightly smaller than our present-day moon. A scientist by the name of Henry Morris did some math on this new Jerusalem as described here, and he said this, 20 billion, billion with a B, people could inhabit this assuming that only 25% of New Jerusalem was given over to dwellings and 75% to whatever else, streets, parks, public spaces, public buildings. So he calculates that every person, all 20 billion, would have 75 acres of space to dwell in. I don't know about you, but I'll take 75 acres. (laughs) Right now, I own 0.42. That's it. I'll take the 75 acres. Now, let's read, read further. So, that, so what I want you to understand, there's plenty, plenty of room. It goes on to say this in verse 17, the angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it, it was 144 cubits thick. You say, what is that equal to? That we're talking about 200 feet thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agite, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh crystallite, the eighth baral, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Now watch this, the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. 
that's a big oyster. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> the great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. You ever heard people talk about the, the pearly gates and the, and the streets of gold? Yeah. They get it from this passage of Scripture. Now, doesn't that sound incredible? Can you imagine in your mind what that looks like with light refracting off all of these? I mean, we know what light looks like to reflect off a diamond. Can you imagine all these precious jewels and what this place must look like? Now, remember what I told you. This is the current heaven that will come down one day on the new heaven and new earth. One of the most powerful things I've ever had happen to be in my ministry was early on in my ministry... I was preaching something on this passage, and, and I had had a new Christian come up to me after that, after that service, and they said to me, in fact, they still go to this church this day. They're sitting in the service. I'm not going to point them out, but I know who they are. They said to me, Pastor, I mean, they were just like, like, why is a ghost? They said, when my father was dying, he was describing these things that you were reading. He was seeing them. Amazing. Let's continue to reading. It says, I did not, it tells us a little more. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, who's the Lamb? Jesus. Are its temple. Yes. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. So there's not going to be need for any of those things. Right. For the glory of God gives its light and the Lamb is its lamp. I mean, just the glory of God is going to light the world up. You remember, it's the same glory. Do you remember when the shepherds, the angels came to the shepherd and it says, the glory of the Lord shone around them, right? We're talking about light. We're talking about the glory of God is going to light this new heaven and new earth. And it says this, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut. Why? Because everybody's welcome anytime. You know why else? There's no more enemies. Why do you lock your cars and your houses to keep bad people out? You're not going to have that problem. For there will be no night there, no more night. And it says the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. So that's the capital city of the new heaven and new earth. It's going to be a city of unbelievable beauty and unbelievable peace. Now, that brings us to the fourth thing that I want you to take notice of. Let's talk about the changes in the new heaven and earth. When we get to this new heaven and new earth, it is not going to be like it is now. I mean, we all know what life is like now. We all know about the challenges of life. We're all very familiar with that. It is not going to be like that when we get to the new heaven and new earth. In fact, the first thing that's going to change is how our relationship with God actually functions. There are going to be some things that are the same, but there's going to be some things that are going to be different. Look what it says in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell, what does it say? With them. with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Yes. Now, that's very different than the type of relationship we can currently experience with God, right? Think about this. Ever since the sin entered the world, God has dwelled with his people in a veiled way. Okay? People haven't been able to see God in his full glory. You remember when, when God set up the tabernacle where his presence would be with Israel? And then there were all these layers, and eventually there was the Holy of Holies and, and the Ark of the Covenant, and then his, God's presence rested over the Ark of the Covenant, and only the high priest could go in there once a year. If anybody else went in there, what would happen to them? 
they, they, they would die. God veiled his presence with Israel. Remember when God showed himself to Moses, but he didn't show it to him in all his full glory. He hid him in the cleft of the rock. Do you remember that? And God passed by and all Moses saw was the glory, the tail end of the glory of God. That's all he saw. Changed his life forever. Remember that? And then we have the ultimate God veiled. Jesus was God in what? Veiled in human flesh. And right now, God dwells with you and I by way of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, right? You say, well, why is God kind of, why, why does God do that for our protection? Because of our sin and because of God's holiness, if we were to just walk into God's holiness, his holiness would consume us. And so as a protection to us right now, God reveals himself in veiled ways. But oh, in the new heaven and new earth, God will dwell with his people in unveiled form. I think that'll be worth, that'll be worth eternity, just that. It's going to be again like it was in the back in the garden even Eden before sin entered into the world. You remember? It tells us that God would come and walk and talk and fellowship with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. So it will be in the new earth. It's not the only change that's going to take place. Look at verse 4. It says, he, talking about God, will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be, what's the next two words? Say it again. No more. Say it again. No more. no more what? No more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. What old order? The cursed order, the sinful order, the messed up broken order of this current world. None of the things that we now have pain about are going to exist anymore. So I want you to think about this first. No more death. No more having to say goodbye to loved ones. Some of the most painful things we experience in this life. No more need for doctors or health insurance. Oh, praise God, right? I mean, you're already thinking about it. What is my health insurance? How much am I going to have to pay next year? It's the most frustrating thing in the world, right? No more medicine. No more high blood pressure. No more hospitals. No more sicknesses. And I love this one. Oh, no more cancers. No more common colds. No more COVID-19 or 18 or 20 or 21. I mean, no more physical pain of any kind. No more arthritis. No more physical limitations. It's going to be absolutely perfect health for all of eternity. And here's my favorite part. If all those physical things are true, I mean, that's glorious in itself. But I don't think that's going to be the best part. Notice it says no more mourning. We're talking about... No more sorrow, no more crying. You know what we're talking about there? No more emotional pain. In a true emotional pain could be, it's much worse than physical pain. So here's what this means. No more getting hurt by other people. No more need to have to forgive anyone anymore. No more misunderstandings. No more feeling insecure when it comes to ourselves and other people. No more feeling unloved or unwanted or feeling inferior. more of that. You're going you're gonna to be totally secure in who you are in the world you're going to be in. Understanding the love that God has for you in a way that will drive away every insecurity for all of eternity. The old order of things has passed away. 
No more curse of sin and everything that comes with it. Now look what it says in verse 5. He who was seated on the throne, talking about Jesus, said, I make everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And I say this every time we read a phrase like that in the Bible. What Jesus is saying, you could take this to the bank. It's going to happen. He said to me, now watch this, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And Jesus always talked about he was the, he was the water of life, right? He was, he, he drink from him, right? Now, I want you to notice the phrase I have underlined in that text there. What does it say? It is done. This is not the first time we've heard Jesus say a phrase like this. Do you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross right before he died? He's hanging there right before the, he gave up his spirit. What did he scream out? It is finished to tell us die in the Greek. And what Jesus was saying is I have done everything necessary for people to find salvation in me by what I just did. It is finished. Well, this is a different type of finished. What Jesus is saying is their redemption is now finished. Yes. Yes. We talk about this all the time here, right? The moment you get saved, you're justified. You're going to heaven. You're right with God, but you're still stuck in a body that's broken by sin. And we all feel the pull between the flesh and the spirit, all right? You're, you're born again on the inside, but you still deal with this body and this world that is still broken by sin. Well, when you get to the new heaven and new earth, you will be in a new body. You will not only be spiritually re- redeemed, you will be physically redeemed, and your world that you live in now will be totally redeemed, and it will be finished. The story of redemption Amen. will be done. Yes. Yes. It'll be complete. This is a declaration of victory here by Jesus. Look at, look at me, uh, this, this is going to fulfill what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. And a lot of times we read this, read right by it, never realizing it's talking about the new heaven and new earth. Let's start back in verse 7 here, Ephesians chapter 1. It says, in him, talking about Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Now watch this. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Otherwise, how to be right with God, how to spend eternity with God, how to have eternal life with God, which he purposed in who? It all comes through Christ. He revealed that to us. Jesus is the way, truth, and life, right? Now watch this. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. What times? The end of time. When redemption is complete, what's going to be true? Look at this. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under God. Christ. That'll be complete when we stand in the new heavens and the new earth. So that's the changes. It's going to be much different than the sin-cursed world that we now live in. The fourth thing I want you to notice is the citizens of the new heaven and earth. Let's look at the citizens. Watch this. Verse 7. Those who are, what's the word? Victorious. Victorious will inherit all this. You see that? Who's going to inherit this? Those that are victorious. Another way you can translate that is those who overcome this world. And overcome what in this world? Sin. Will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. How do you know what that's, that's talking about that? Well, look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 through 5. It says, for everyone born of God, what? Overcome. Overcomes the world. 
Talking about sin. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So how does anybody overcome the world? It's through faith in Jesus. It's through faith in Jesus. It's through faith in Jesus. That's how you get victory over this world. Revelation 12, 11. Talking about the saints of God. Talking about how they overcome this world and the devil. Look at this. They overcame him, talking about the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Faith in Jesus. Word of testimony means faith. Through the blood of Jesus. Those are going to be the citizens. Those are going to be the ones that inherit the new heaven and new earth. This is why Jesus is so important. This is why Jesus said in John 14, we say it all the time here, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me because there's no other way to, to overcome this world except through Jesus. Why do you think Jesus says, I'm the gate? Why do you think he says, I'm the door? Because there's no other way other than through Jesus in Christ Jesus. So that's the citizens. It's only people that, are, that have faith that those that are saved through Jesus will be there. Let's look at the last thing here. Let's call this the castaways from the new heaven and new earth. It says in verse 8 here, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the adulterers, and all liars. Watch this. They will be consigned to the lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, let me help you understand what this is saying and isn't saying. This isn't saying that if you ever did one of these things that you can't go to the new heaven and new earth. How many of you say, thank God for that? Because all of us have sin in our life. What we're talking about here is people that say, no, I don't need Jesus. I'm going to continue to my sin. I think I'm okay. These are people that have refused to repent and find salvation in Jesus. Instead, they've decided I'm going to hang on to my old life and I'm going to do it my way. That's what we're talking about here. So don't ever believe this, this stuff that everybody goes to heaven when they die. That is not true. You know what Jesus said? He said, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and few find it, but wide and broad is the way of destruction, and many are going to find themselves there. And it's tragic because many people think that they'll be okay, that they'll be good enough, that they can handle it, and the truth is the only way to overcome this world is through the blood of Jesus in your life. Now look what Jesus says in Revelation 21, verse 27. Talking about the new heaven and new earth. Okay, nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or boastful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay, do you, do you understand the track? This, this is why God can't just let everybody into heaven no matter what. People will say a lot of times, oh, why would God just let pain and suffering continue on and on and on and on? Why doesn't he put an end to it? Oh, he's going to put an end to it. But he can't let anybody who's sinful back into the new heaven and new earth or it would disintegrate again. Do you understand that? 
And so God in his mercy and his grace is saying, look, I'm giving people time to repent. I'm giving people time to put their faith in Jesus because I want everybody to be there, but you're not going to be there in your sin because if I let you in there in your sin, you'll taint the new heaven and new earth and we're just going to have destruction all over again and I'm going to put an end to it once and for all. Nothing impure will ever enter in. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Do you know what that is? It's a book of sinners who found their sin forgiven in Jesus. So, that's how it all ends. With those who have been saved through faith in Jesus, living in the new heaven and new earth in a perfect world, with God, with all the other saints, perfect state for all of eternity it's going to be glorious that's how the story ends question is are you going to be there that's the question we've asked all through this series I hope you're going to be there I hope you put your faith in Jesus it's the most important thing that you can do because your name must be written in the Lamb's book of life. And you don't earn your way into that book. It's by faith. You put your faith in Jesus. You say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I realize that I can't get to heaven on my own accord. I realize that that, that I can't, can't make up for one sin, yet alone all of my sins. So I need you in my life, Jesus, because all of your innocent, your innocent blood paid for all of my sins. So Jesus, I put my faith in you. If you have never done that, would you do that? Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you have never put your faith in Jesus, would you do that? Say, Jesus, I just come to you right now. If you're at home this morning and you're listening to this message, listen, those whose names are in the Lamb's book of life are going to be owned, they're going to be the only ones that inherit the new heaven and new earth. And God wants you to be there. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's what God wants for you. The question is, have you given your life to Jesus? If you haven't, would you do it right now where you're at? Put your faith in Jesus. Say, Jesus, I call out to you. I want to make you the Savior of my life, the Lord of my life from this day forward that I may be with you for all of eternity. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Would you stand with me? You know, what we studied this morning, do you understand? What we celebrated earlier with the with communion, it's a reminder of why Jesus is so awesome, right? It's a re- reminder of why we're so thankful for Jesus, that God's got a plan for us in Jesus for all of eternity. So that's how the story of redemption ends. The question is, well, pastor, if that's how it ends, are we done? Nope, one more week to go. Say, so what do you mean? Well, now that you have all this information, what do you do with it? How should you be, how should this affect how you live in light of everything that you know? We're going to talk about that next week. So we'll do that next week. And then the first week in December, we'll get into some Christmas preaching. You don't want to miss it. I'm going to ask my prayer partners if they'd go ahead and come at this time. So guys, would you go ahead and come up, find your spot. 
You know, one of the things that we do every single week is we have an opportunity for you to get prayed for, whether it's healing you need, emotional, physical, whatever it may be. Our prayer partners will be up here. Maybe it's not you that needs prayer, but maybe you know somebody that needs prayer. We would love to pray over you. Listen, we hear testimonies all the time about praying. The Bible says if, if any one of you is sick, you should call for the elders of the church to pray over you and ask the Lord to work in your life. So this is why we do this every week. So if you need prayer for any reason, come on up, pray. We would love to do that. Let's say a final prayer as we go. Father, I just thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I thank you for for leaving us the end of the story that we would not be in despair in this world, but we would understand that we are headed towards a wonderful destination, that you have a plan in store for us. And Lord, we're just thankful for your word that we can study it and we can know it. In the name of Jesus, we all said together, amen, amen. If you need prayer, go ahead and come. The rest of you, God bless you. We'll see you next week. Jesus, he took my place in